I'm delighted to be joined by Yukon Extension Forester Tom Wordley. And we got Tom on this morning to talk about fall foliage because a lot of people are buzzing around. Where's the colors? Where's the foliage this year? Tom, thank you for joining me this morning. Where's the foliage? Where's the color this year? Thank you for inviting me. Um, the foliage is on its way, and it's, um, uh, as I would say, uh, uh, kind of extended. There are three factors that enter into the triggering of the foliage season. Uh, one is the temperature, and we haven't had any uh, really low temperatures yet, even in the evening. Yes, down in the 40s, but we haven't had a freeze yet. The second is moisture availability, and there's tons of moisture around, uh, um, so trees are still um, able to uh, take that up through their root systems. And the third factor is photo period, which means the amount of sunlight that trees get during the day. And if one of those factors doesn't trigger uh, the change in color, then uh, the tree will wait until uh, another factor kicks in. And all the different species of trees react to these things in different ways. So, for example, the oak trees are still green out there because they tend to be more um, sensitive to uh, um, uh, temperature than photoperiod. And uh, as soon as we get a really cold night, well, the oaks will start to turn, um, whereas uh, the birch uh, trees have begun to turn already because they tend to be uh, more sensitive to photoperiod. The other factor in, in play is... Uh, a couple of um, foliar funguses that have been active this um, this summer, uh, affecting the uh, the maple trees, and uh, not all the maple trees, just uh, just some that uh, are in the right places. And uh, these uh, fun fungi, if you will, uh, are part of a group they call anthracnose fungi, and they're always around. Uh, they're always a factor, and they they affect the leaves of uh, of maple trees. But this year because of the continuing high temperatures and the uh, the high moisture that we had, all the rain that we've had, uh, the, the fungus has been very successful. And uh, many trees decided, well, you know, um, we're not carrying enough green, uh, uh, green foliage. It's time to uh, shut down early and uh, uh, go into early dormancy. Most of these trees have set bud and uh, we'll produce a nice full set of green leaves next spring, no problem. They just uh, didn't go through the normal process this year. Now, Tom, is that anthracnose problem with the maple leaves one reason why, in my opinion, we're not seeing as many of the bright red maples so far this fall? That's that's part of the reason. Um, that anthracnose fungus affects mostly sugar maples, and not all the sugar maples are affected, but... Uh, uh, some have been. Uh, the red maples, on the other hand, um, are are holding up their end of the, the color bargain, if you will, um, and uh, producing a lot of nice reds. But they're slow about doing it just because of the other the other factors I've mentioned. There's it's still plenty been plenty warm and it's still been uh, uh, still plenty of moisture around. So uh, um, their their process has been a little bit slower, a little bit more extended and. What I would uh, suggest to people is that uh, um, we'll, unless we get a cold, a couple of cold nights in a row, we'll probably see a fairly uh, 
extended, uh, a lengthened uh, color season as the, the trees uh, turn color more slowly than they usually do. Well, you mentioned the moisture a couple of times, and I was curious. We had an extremely wet July, wettest month ever, and we had an extremely wet September. Does that provide more moisture in the soil for the trees to get more nutrients and keep the leaves on the trees longer? Yes, they do. And um, that's, that's what, like I said, that's one factor. And um, from where I sit, as a, as a forestry specialist, I'm actually uh, um, uh, pleased that the leaves are staying green a little bit longer because the, when they're green, they're doing the job we need them to do <laughs> in order to, you know, they bring, uh, they take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and they produce oxygen that we all need to breathe. When they go into dormancy, why uh, um, that's not happening, you know, so... Uh, um, you know, if they can uh, be doing that job for a little bit longer time, uh, that's to our benefit, I believe. I think most people would like to see those red maple leaves to kind of perk up the fall foliage season. But the beaches make a nice yellow coloring. But there's a new phenomenon called beach leaf disease. Where'd that come from and how serious is it? Well, where it came from was um, the Midwest, and it is a fairly serious disease issue. Uh, there's actually two things going on with beach. Uh, beach has a, a bark disease that uh, is a, a fu- another fungal complex, and uh, trees with beach bark disease uh, suffer with, with that. They can suffer with that for decades, you know, and, uh, um, and that's, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, it's ultimately fatal, but, doesn't, but it takes a long, long time. Beach leaf disease, on the other hand, is caused by a microscopic worm called a nematode, and uh, they live in the buds in the wintertime and do their damage while they're in the buds. And so the leaves emerge all kind of misshapen and discolored. And we've seen this phenomenon for a couple of years now. It's a relatively new phenomenon. And where we see beach leaf disease and beach bark disease on the same tree, that's not a good tree. That's not a good situation. That tree is really suffering. But um, uh, we don't know for sure uh, whether the beech leaf disease is a temporary thing or whether it's going to be a chronic thing or a, um, uh, you know, whether it's ultimately going to be fatal or whether it will pass. Uh, I think in many cases, uh, beech might be a victim of its own success. You know, beech... Uh, is a species that can uh, produce uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, new shoots from its root system when it uh, is affected by something like beech bark disease. That's its uh, reaction is to reproduce itself uh, vegetatively. And then, of course, all those uh, new stems produce all this nice foliage, uh, which provides a uh, 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 prime environment for the nematode. So, um, you know, it, like I say, it might be a victim of its own success in that way. Tom, a listener told me that she saw the beach nematode in South Windham on Saturday, the first she's seen it so near to here. Previously, she'd only seen it on Mount Misery in Patchogue Forest. Is the beach nematode moving slowly north? Yes, it is. And, um, you know, I, I believe that it's throughout, it's statewide at this point. You know, uh, I, I, most of the beech trees I see are affected by it. There's a few um, in, um, in, uh, you know, in the stores area that I could take you to that don't seem to be affected yet. 
And I was in Massachusetts over the last week, and uh, um, most of the beech trees there are not affected yet, but we did see some that are, you know, beginning to, you know, to, to see the beginning stages of it. Tom, you're the tree expert. You're the foliage expert. Where have you seen the best foliage here in eastern Connecticut so far this fall? Oh, where have I seen the best foliage? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I guess I would have to, uh, because of the places that I travel to, one of my favorite uh, foliage views is the the top of Horse Barn Hill uh, at Yukon campus, where you look eastward out over the the forest canopy, uh, you know, towards uh, towards Chaplin and and those areas, and uh, um, you get a pretty nice view. Um, and uh, around Mansfield Reservoir, uh, places like that, I guess, uh, would be uh, the first things that come to mind. But uh, um, you you want to get uh, at, a, at a fairly high elevation in order to be able to take it all in. Really good answer. Tom, how can you tell the native and desirable sugar maples from the invasive Norway maples? The leaves are very similar. The leaves are very similar, but uh, if you pluck a leaf, if you're close enough to the tree and there's one close enough down that you can reach and you pluck the leaf off, the Norway maple, uh, the the very base of the, the stem of the leaf, the petiole of the leaf, exudes a white milky sap. And uh, our native sugar maple won't do that. Um, also, the, sh- the the Norway maples don't turn color the same way our sugar maples do. They will hold on to their, their green color for a long, long time. Uh, and then after a first frost, they will just turn brown. So we don't get much color out of the Norway maple. As a tree expert, Tom, can you give us some insight as to why, especially along state highways, interstates here in Connecticut and really northeast states in general, there's been so many trees removed. My theory is that if the trees are dying, they don't want those falling on the road causing a major accident. Is there more to it than that? Why are so many trees being removed from near roads, including Route 6 and 44 and 384 out near Bolton Notch? Yeah, we have, uh, we've seen this happen, and um, it's a function of the fact that they're have been a number of dead trees around. We a few years ago we went through the spongy moss uh, uh, issue, and so there were so many uh, standing dead oak trees in eastern Connecticut. Uh, we're going through the uh, the problem with emerald ash borer, and um, a lot of those ash trees uh, uh, don't stand very long once they die. You know they decay very quickly, and so they need to be removed. And the the state Department of Transportation needs to uh, work with a contractor to, um, you know, remove, you know, to manage that vegetation along the roadside. And um, if it's not the power company, it's the, it's the state and the DOT. And um, uh, when they prepare these contracts, a lot of times it's a year in advance of, you know, when they actually get the work done and they have to make it as simple as possible. And so my thought is that, uh, um, what we need to do as citizens is uh, begin to pay attention to um, what what's growing up after they go through. And I often tell people, especially with hardwoods like maples and birches and beeches and oaks, that um, you know just because they're cutting the trees doesn't mean they're killing them. They're just cutting their heads off, and the root systems are still alive and will send up new sprouts, new shoots, uh, um, and pretty soon you'll have a stand of brush there that. Uh, um, 
many of those stems will turn into new trees. And we can manage that right from the beginning to have the trees that we want to have in those places that perhaps don't get very tall or space them out properly so they'll be more wind firm or something like that so that uh, the future roadside forest won't need to be treated in quite the same way. Fascinating stuff. Tom, tell me about Mad Cap Horse. What is that? <laughs> that's a, that's a, uh, um, that's a, what they call a memnonic, a memory aid. And um, it, re- it refers to species of trees where the twigs and the leaves are arranged opposite to each other on the twig. Now, oak trees, hickory trees, many others, uh, the, the leaves or the twigs alternate uh, in different positions as you go along the branch. But in maple trees, that's the M, ash trees, that's the A, dogwood trees, that's the D, um, anything, the cap stands for a family of uh, species that's Caprifoliaceae, and that refers to any of the viburnums and honeysuckles and things like that. Um, these are all have opposite arrangements. Oh, and horse stands for horse chestnut. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, um, so um, catalpa is the same way. And, uh, the, but the leaves are opposite to each other on the twig, and the twigs are opposite to each other on the branches. And this is an easy way you can rule out a lot of other choices if you're trying to identify species, if you have opposite arrangement, why it's going to be one of those few. Pollinators are good. Which trees support the most pollinators, birds, small mammals, things like that? Well, they all, they all do. Um, and what's, what's important to note is that they all have different timing. Um, a lot of our um, a lot of our trees produce flowers or catkins or something. A lot of pollen in the springtime. We all uh, are aware of folks who suffer from you know burning eyes and running nose in the springtime. There's tons of pollen dust that lands on your vehicle or your lawn furniture or whatever the case may be, and a lot of that is airborne. But then there are a few species that uh, produce showy flowers, tulip trees. Um, uh, black gum trees, uh, the the red maples to some degree are very early flowers, um, and they all uh, support uh, uh, pollinators. Uh, the red maple trees are the ones that that uh, become active the earliest in the spring. If you stand at a high spot and you look out and you you begin to see this pinkish color or this reddish color show up in the forest canopy, that's the red maples producing flowers because the flowers are red. And um, uh, before the leaves come out, and um, uh, and this is a very early flower that pollinators can take advantage of in the in the summertime. And lastly, Tom, you're in the midst of a promotion about white oak, our state tree, the charter oak. What is the white oak initiative? Well, the white oak initiative uh, began in the Midwest, and I'll come back to that in a minute, but. Uh, it's very timely with respect to the issue with beach. If landowners are frustrated by the, the beach leaf disease, uh, uh, white oak is a great alternative to, to be growing instead of beech. Uh, it's a long-lived species. Uh, we have great uh, uh, acorn survival uh, with, a- with white oak. If we can get those acorns into the ground and keep them uh, protected from the squirrels and the turkeys and the deer and everything that want to eat them, why white oak is a uh, 
White oak will grow just about any place a beech tree will grow. And not, not that we need to eliminate all the beech trees. We need to uh, have some to be in the mix, absolutely. But uh, um, white oak also produces a huge benefit for when they get to be larger trees for um, uh, caterpillar populations that feed the birds in the springtime. And the initiative um, began in the Midwest, and uh, it w- they were looking around at the at the white oak resource and realized that it's dwindling, and so they want people to try to perpetuate it and uh, grow white oak trees as much as possible. And uh, the reason for it is because of uh, um, the <clears throat> believe it or not the whiskey barrel industry. Uh, whiskey barrels are made of white oak, and um, the staves are white oak, and uh, because it, you know, doesn't leak and uh, <laughs> doesn't uh, decay very easily, and so forth and so on. And there's a huge industry uh, in Kentucky, Tennessee, places like that that uh, uh, produces the barrels where they age uh, whiskey products. And they're looking around and saying, "Gee, our our barrel uh, um, raw material is uh, uh, becoming in short supply. We need to activate a." Uh, uh, an initiative to uh, get people to manage the white oak resource a little bit better. And so we uh, we jumped onto that because it's our state tree. Not that we need to grow whiskey barrels in Connecticut, but uh, uh, certainly white oaks are a, a great value to uh, uh, for a, a wide variety of reasons. Tom, always a pleasure having you on. Thanks for joining me this morning. Well, thanks for inviting me, and it was nice to talk to you. Tom Worley, UConn Extension Educator and Forestry Expert on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.